Welcome to another episode of Fear Not, the podcast that tells us why we are afraid of all the wrong things and oblivious to what can actually kill us. Trending fears this week, they, their, them. What's with the gender neutral pronouns? Don't wash that chicken, it'll make you sick. Flushing drugs down the drain makes meth gators fear Florida. Drop those breadsticks, Olive Garden funding Trump's reelection. Barry's Fear of the Week, local news. If it bleeds, turn it off. And some very important updates. That and so much more coming up on Fear Not. Today is gonna be a good day. Don't care what anybody else say. Oh, I don't need a budget cookie to tell me the way I'm feeling. Gonna be a good day. Welcome back to Fear Not. It's episode 15. I'm Alonzo Bowden with my very own human Prozac, Dr. Barry Glasser, the world's foremost expert on fear. Hey, Alonzo. I'm here to tell everybody if they haven't heard your special, they should be hearing it right now. Thank you, Barry. Thank you. Heavy Lightweight is doing well on Amazon Prime. And you know what? I'm going to promote your book, Go The Culture it. of Fear, also can be found on Amazon. Take time out from listening and read. Read The Culture of Fear. It's a great book. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And we're here to debunk fears. That's what we do every week. And why do we do it? Because the costs to society are just too high. We can't afford it. It's making people anxious when they don't need to be. And the more we know about how people use fear, the less it'll work on us when they try. I also want to say thanks to our listeners. We love you. Keep sending us your questions. We're on Twitter at FearNotOfficial. You can email us at fearnotofficial at gmail.com. And while you're there, hit subscribe, leave a review. We read them. I'm telling you, we enjoy them. <laughs> Let's get this started. Here we go. Headline number one. Now I'm going to start with a disclaimer and let you know that what I'm about to say is the subject of a Reddit thread, not the opinion of the show. Here's the quote. The whole gender pronoun crap is stupid and narcissistic. For those not in the know, gender-neutral pronouns are what some people have asked us to use instead of gender-specific ones like he or she. Okay, so for example, he went to the bathroom becomes they went to the bathroom. They becomes one person. Now, did I get that right? Yeah, perfect. But let me set the stage for this. Gender-neutral pronouns are one answer to those who prefer not to be identified with one gender or another. So that could be, for example, people who identify as non-binary, those who don't identify as exclusively male or exclusively female. It can also be, by the way, for people who prefer not to have gender inserted into a decision, like when you're applying for a job, for instance. Here's where I stand on the gender-neutral pronouns. I respect that if that's your choice. Just don't bug me if I get it wrong now and then, okay? If you're the guy on Reddit, okay, that's somebody who's actively against you being non-binary or, or choosing gender or whatever. I'm not saying that. Now, some people, and, you know, I live in L.A., okay, I've seen plenty of people where I'm not sure if it's a man or a woman, so I'm glad they give me the option. I can throw in a they rather than guess the wrong gender. I don't want to insult anybody. But at the same time, I can't go out of my way and correct myself every time I do a sentence. I'm a comedian. I can't correct myself in every joke, you know, based on, on what gender 
I think this joke is about or it's not about or, you know, I had a joke in my special where I talk about they want another cue for question. I don't have time for a question. Make a decision. Tell me what you are. Don't don't throw a cue at me. I'm not disrespecting it. But at the same time, I got other things to put my effort into. I, I can't spend my time trying to figure out what gender you are and therefore what I'm supposed to call you. I already said you can go to any bathroom you want. What do you want from me? I'm a simple man. <laughs> That's a perspective that a lot of people have, Alonzo. But in my world, in higher education, this has been around for a long time. If you look at Harvard, back in 2015, the registrar at Harvard said this, if someone is being alienated or potentially outed by inappropriate gender references, we think that's not appropriate. And because of that, what they did is they offered options like they, for example, that people could choose. So you see this now in all kinds of different settings. You see it in higher ed, in nonprofits, houses of worship, in a growing number of companies. Meetings begin with people stating their pronouns. I see a lot of email signatures also that have that. But let's talk about how far this goes and where we bring it back, okay? So the creator of that Reddit thread, for example, called it stupid. He said they denotes that there's two or more people. And then he went on and he said, and I'm quoting this, it's narcissistic because you're like, when you address me, you will do so with this blank word, you know, like they or whatever. You're not that important, he said. He thinks that it's a big burden on him for you to do this. It seems that there's some pretty important people who agree with this guy. They're taking drastic measures. In fact, a fifth grade teacher in Florida asked to be referred to as they, them, and their and was fired. The Diversity and Inclusion Office at the University of Tennessee at Knoxville published a guide to alternative pronouns in 2015, and then the state legislature defunded the center and barred the university from promoting the use of gender-neutral pronouns in the future. Right. And and see, here's an example. I hate to say this, but, you know, Tennessee. I'm sorry, one of those red states where the legislature is operating backwards and putting on some a few people's personal biblical beliefs, applying them to everybody. And that's going to be just wrong. So you'll have things happening on mm-hmm. campus, mm-hmm. you know, the whole microaggression thing and so on that don't happen in real life. The other thing on the Reddit thing, when it says, you know, you address me, you will not do so. Well, guess what? There are a lot of people who get addressed in a certain way, doctor. So people do people do choose their titles. And you don't know if he says, if someone tells me, I am Sir Mix-a-Lot. I'm not sure who knighted you Sir Mix-a-Lot, but I'm going to call you Sir Mix-a-Lot because you've obviously earned that title, right? So, yeah, people do come up with their own titles. And in many ways, that's the whole point, right? Accommodating people's preferences. But that's not the end of the story, Alonzo. This is actually rooted in a long history of gender bias. And there's this new study that I think is really interesting out of Washington University, St. Louis. Full disclosure, that's where I got my PhD. And in this study, they interviewed 3,000 Swedes, and here's what they found. Gender-neutral pronouns do, in fact, boost positive feelings toward LGBTQ people. But... What I think is even more interesting than that is they boost positive feelings toward women. They reduce the mental biases that favor men just by having those pronouns being used widely. You know where this comes up? When you have women who have a traditionally male name. 
right? Like if you have a woman who's named Joey and on her application and everything else, it's Joey. Then she walks in and then they're like, whoa, wait, we didn't expect that. And then they change their attitude like, no, we can't hire Joey. Joey's a woman. If they came up with something other than they, just like Miz, right? Miz was a, a, they combined Miss and Mrs. and they came up with Miz, but there wasn't a Miz before that. Well, there have been lots of attempts and failures in the hunt for an English gender-neutral singular pronoun, which is essentially what you're asking for. The hunt in English goes back centuries. Most controversial one, though, is the one that's actually come into effect, right? They and them. And the bane of every English teacher in America is when these are used wrong. But it turns out we use them every day. Example. If a student fails the driver's test, they can take it over, right? Tell them you'll call them back. English teachers may claim that it's unacceptable, but the Oxford English Dictionary disagrees. They appears in singular form as far back as 1375, and there are whole lots of examples in English literature. One of our researchers found dozens just in Jane Austen novels. Here are some examples. They say everybody is in love once in their lives. Everybody has a way of their own. But let's get honest here. What history shows us is that this is about a lot more than pronouns. In the 1800s, someone decided that he should be used for both genders, for male and female. You know, every dancer has his style. What happened then is feminists protested. They protested that the generic he was sexist. And in turn, the feminists were accused of emasculating and neutering the language. Let's be honest here. He has never been gender neutral, right? One article said, imagine if instead of if you love somebody, set them free, Sting had sung if you love somebody, set him free. That boy's quirk. <laughs> That's what you would have heard. William Sapphire, you know, the famous author and the journalist, he warned that to accept the use of they in place of he would be to, quote, cave into the radic lib forces of usage permissiveness. You know, if, if a person decides they're they and they say it, I don't have the right to say you're not a they, you're a he or she. Right. You, you know who doesn't like this non-binary pronoun stuff, Barry? Hmm. Whoever has to reprint all the forms, <laughs> find that they, and I promise you that that they is mad at them. <laughs> you know, I got to reprint all of these? <laughs> We've been able to adapt to these things. We've done it with all sorts of things, with all sorts of forms. People are now pretty much used to not saying chairman, right? We say chair or chairperson. We don't say congressman for the squad, right? We say congressperson or congresswomen sometimes. So, look, all we really have to do is tweak our grammar. That's it. Okay, Barry. Gender neutral pronouns, fear or fear not? Well, once again, those who fear it are going to have a tougher time than those who get over it. We're on our way to leveling the linguistic playing field, so get with it and fear not. Headline number two, washing raw chicken could make you sick. And this is why I don't cook. Now, if there's a problem with Popeye's chicken, 
then I got to fight because them chicken sandwiches, that's a long line at Popeye's. I can't get involved in that. <laughs> All right. Here's where the scary headlines came from. The USDA partnered with North Carolina State to investigate how home cooks handle raw meat and how it affects nearby food on the counter. They recruited 300 people for this prepared chicken and a salad in test kitchens. 30% of the salads were contaminated with bacteria from the chicken. And why was that? Because they washed the chicken before cooking it and the spray of water spread bacteria all over the place. When they say that washing the chicken spread the bacteria all over, what I think of is what kind of pressure washer were you using on the, on the chicken? Now, some of the participants fully washed their chicken, soaking it in the sink, either with water only or vinegar or lemon juice or adding soap. Ugh, sounds horrible. By the way, there's no good evidence that soaking raw chicken in vinegar or lemon juice kills bacteria. And if you soak it in soap, don't serve it to me. Now, listen, if you're washing your chicken with soap, now that's a shower. You don't need to <laughs> freshly shower chicken before you eat it. We have no idea how many of the people in the North Carolina State study would have gotten sick. No one ate the food. But investigators swabbed the sinks and the counters after they were done, quote, cleaning up. The study goes on to say this. There are horror stories from a microbiological standpoint. That's what Ben Chapman, a food safety specialist and a professor at North Carolina State, said. Participants rinsed lettuce in a colander in the sink where they just had the raw chicken. We in the food safety community didn't really have a good sense of this until the work we did here. As far as I'm concerned, he could have stopped that sentence right after didn't have good sense. I get on a microbiological level that after you wash the chicken in the sink, I guess you're supposed to scrub the sink before you rinse the lettuce in the sink. But is that really going to get you? Yeah, it can. And the truth is you don't need to wash the chicken. I'm a common sense guy, Barry. I would, I would take these food safety guys to some grandmothers who are frying up some chicken and dare them to tell them to not wash that chicken. You know who else says that? Not just your grandmother, but none other than America's most beloved chef, Julia Child. She was a big advocate of washing raw poultry. And then another thing that I like to do is wash the chicken. Just run the water right through it, inside and out. And the reason, I just, I just think it's a safer thing to do after You've washed and dried the chicken. You have to inspect it all over. Her legendary co-host, though, Jacques Pepin, famously disagreed with this. He said that the heat from the oven kills off any germs or bacteria. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, issued an emphatic reminder on social media to prevent food poisoning while cooking chicken, don't wash your raw chicken. Cross-contamination of foodborne pathogens like salmonella, which can be very dangerous, come out of this. As somebody who had salmonella poisoning, I can tell you, you don't want it. Most people recover. I certainly did. But nearly 400 people die each year from salmonella out of the million who get it. On the other hand, I'm going to say that I watched my mom and my grandmother wash the chicken. I never got sick from it. We black people file all of this under the broad category of white people problems. All right. <laughs> you, white people worried about 
a 400 out of 1 million chance I'm going to die from eating some chicken. You think black people are going to be scared to eat chicken? Barry, it's one of the few things we have left. All right. We're going to eat chicken. This is a debate you have in the parking lot of Whole Foods. Are you going to wash that chicken? You know, I heard you shouldn't wash that chicken. Instead, you should talk to it and ask it if it lived cleanly in its free range. Barry, you're better than this. Don't ever bring anything like this to the show again, Barry. Don't go at me like this. But I do want to say this. Here's what the USDA says, and it matters. If you're going to wash your chicken, you can wash your chicken. It's okay. Just wash your hands thoroughly for 20 seconds with soap and water after you do it. Dry them with a paper towel. Then throw the paper towel away. You can sanitize the sink and the kitchen counters. Properly cooking a chicken to the right temperature will kill any bacteria. For chicken, the thickest part of the meat should reach 165 degrees. All right, Barry, now I'm going to take you to Alonzo's grandmother's school of kitchen behavior. You cook that chicken till it's done. That chicken look raw. That's They could look <laughs> at a chicken and tell if it was cooked or not. They knew that chicken look raw. What's wrong with you? You don't eat that chicken yet. They, they would tell you that, and you're like, that chicken ain't done yet. You know how they knew that? That's grandmother stuff. They learn that somewhere in the course of their life, by the time they hit grandmother, they know when a chicken's done. You think of black grandmothers sticking a thermometer in the thickest part of a chicken, they will <laughs> slap you back with, boy, I wish you would. I would love to see that. I would love to see somebody sticking a thermometer in a chicken in a black woman's kitchen, just to, just to see the reaction. Okay, I'm gonna ask you, Barry, but my mind is made up on this, Barry. Washing chicken, fear or fear not? Fear not. Listen to Alonzo's grandmother. Not just no, but hell no. Wash that damn chicken. Call me. I'll give you my grandmother's number. Down in Florida, we welcome you to the Sunshine State. We love this segment of the show, and we're told Floridians love it too. I love that they embrace this one. And with that said, it is time for Fear Florida. This story is from the Orlando Sentinel. Beware of meth gators. The police assisted in the arrest of Andy Perry. Perry tried unsuccessfully to flush methamphetamine and several items of paraphernalia down the toilet. The police department has a very reasonable request. Please don't flush your meth down the toilet. It isn't the first time Perry tried to dispose of evidence by using the drainage system. <laughs> this is coming from the police. Quote, on a more or less serious note, folks... Please don't flush your drugs away, okay? Yeah. According to the police, animals, including ducks and geese, near the surrounding treatment ponds can be exposed to these drugs, and they have been. And what scares them is the possibility of meth reaching at alligators. That's right. Methed-out gators chasing methed-out geese running with methed-out... You see where this is going, <laughs> I mean, I'm always happy every week that you get to do most of this one. The police went on. We've had enough methed up animals. If you need to dispose of your drugs, just give us a call and we will make sure they are disposed of in the proper manner. I don't know which is worse, methed up animals or you calling the police and saying, I got this meth that I don't know how to get rid of. <laughs> I'm really not sure which way to go on this one, Barry. If you're a police officer and you get two phone calls, one phone call is some meth head saying, I got to get rid of this meth. I'm paranoid or whatever. And the other call is somebody saying, 
I got methed up gators. Come do something. <laughs> now, which call are you going to want to answer? I'm going to go to the meth head and dispose of his drugs. I saw that movie Rampage. I saw what methed up gators can do. No, I don't need that. Fear Florida. Just call the police. They'll come get your meth, I think. All right. It's that segment I fear every week, and you probably should too. Barry's Fear of the Week. What are you afraid of this week? Fear local news. If it bleeds, it leads, right? The whole idea of the news is let's give you the most horrible, scary, terrible thing first. And they don't even give you the full story. They just tell you what could happen or what might have happened and then tell you to tune in. Well, all of the fear-based news stories prey on our anxieties. The real goal is to increase ratings and market share. They also raise the probability, though, of depression or at least a relapse in people who are predisposed to depression. News is a money-making industry, and they know the fear is going to grab us. So if this is true in all kinds of media, why is it that I single out local TV news? Okay, here's the short answer. It's from my appearance on Brian Stelter's CNN show, Reliable Sources. If you turn on local TV news anywhere in the country, pretty much any day. I mean, I do this when I travel. I encourage people to do it. It's going to look like that community you're in is terrifying. It's going to look like it's just crime-ridden and horrible things going on all the time. Well, why? You know, turn on the police radio. You can go get a great story, right? And it's, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be dramatic. It qualifies as newsworthy. Um, but it's terrifying for the public when it happens day after day and at a time when crime rates nationally are way down. And yet, if it bleeds, it still leads. To your point, even though crime rates are falling. That's right. That's still the motto. If it bleeds, it leads. I do the same thing. I travel. I'll turn on the local news, and there's always some horrific story of something that happened. When you listen to these next time, pay attention to this, because they all have a common plot line, okay? First, they present isolated incidents as trends. Second, they replace optimism with negative fatalism. In other words... Instead of the good news, like, for example, that crime rates are down, it's all replaced by, listen to these horrible crimes. Then finally, they tease a solution, which is just another way of saying, watch us or you're going to die. Here's an example. Coming up on 617, we're bringing you tips on how to save yourself when you are alone. Today, we focus on what to do when you're choking. Last week, police say a man snuck up behind a woman walking her dogs in South Austin and put her in a chokehold. She fought back and got away, which drives home the point a self-defense teacher tells us. Learning some protective moves can save your life. KVU's Mari Salazar has more on these important skills. If you feel like something's wrong, there's a good chance there is. The formula is, in local news, murder, weather, news, sports, good night. And stations find all kinds of ways to keep repeating the same gruesome murder details long after the story's first reported. You know, it can be when the trial comes up, they tell you the whole thing again. They have all kinds of ways to do it. But murder isn't the only kind of scary story that local TV news does. Give a listen to this. Good evening. A knock at the door, someone asking for help and gas for their car. What do you do? It happened to one family in the southwest in an instant armed robbers storming that house, kicking down their door. Local security company is now sharing advice on what you should do to protect your home and your family from a similar situation. Okay, Barry, stop it. I get your point. I'm <laughs> going to be invaded. 
it's sad, but they're almost interchangeable between cities, right? You can right. you can almost put a different name on the city, you know, home invasions in Canoga Park, home invasions in Pittsburgh, mm -hmm. home invasions in Roanoke, Virginia. Not to discount what happens to the individuals in these stories, because it is horrible if you actually go through it. But at the same time, it's not happening at every house on the block. And, you know, it has bad effects, Alonzo. That's the thing. What local TV news does, researchers found this in a variety of studies, is that people who watch a lot of local TV news, they feel their communities are unsafe, they believe that crime rates are rising, they overestimate the odds of becoming a victim, they consider the world to be a dangerous place. There were studies of elderly people that show that the more TV news they watch, the more likely they are to be afraid to go outside of their houses, and they stay in their homes more. Okay, so what's the solution? Here's my advice. One thing, talk back to your local station. If you don't like it and you, all you see is the same formula over and over again, call the news director. And when you call him, tell him, I'm sick of this. I want some real news with my news. I don't want to keep hearing these every night, time after time. To the TV news stations, cover other things, right? There are others that are really easy to cover in the same kind of way. Instead of chasing uh, police cars, right? chase ambulances and talk about what's going on in emergency rooms. That's pretty dramatic, right? You can help inoculate yourself against anxiety caused by this stuff simply by limiting your exposure to it, right? Once or twice a day. Or consider just reading your news, right, online or from print media rather than having the video. The video is going to be scarier. Or just don't watch these at all, right? Then the ratings go down. They might do it less. But just don't be a passive consumer. That's my main advice. Turn it off. Go for a hike. Bottom line, fear local TV news, but not the dangers that they're blowing out of proportion for you. I don't know about that hike thing. I saw on the news that hikers, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> And Alonso, I have a real quick mailbag item for us. This comes from someone named Deborah Joe, who wrote me directly and said, on a recent podcast, you mentioned processed food and that we shouldn't fear them. You were discussing weight loss, and I am not debating that. But most avoid processed food because of the sodium content and the relationship with high blood pressure. Is that a thing? I can do this real fast. Yeah, that's a thing. They tend to have high sodium content, and there's no question that high salt consumption leads to, or at least contributes to, or makes worse, high blood pressure. That doesn't mean that you should fear processed foods. There are definitely processed foods that don't have high sodium content, so we don't want to generalize this to all processed foods. So that should give you the answer to your question, Deborah Joe, and thank you for writing us. Before we wrap this up for the week, we have an update on our story about Trump versus the squad. If you're interested, you can check out that episode. It's episode seven. Well, now the Simpsons are getting involved in this feud. They came out with this hilarious number to mock the feud between Trump and the squad. Take a listen. So many problems, tariffs. I need a distraction. They shouldn't be in America. No one but me in America. No taxes for me in America. This is my natural Harrika. We're more American than your 
She's not a big presence in my life. Your love life makes us heave. You two will never see Tel Aviv. And this is why The Simpsons has been around for 20-something years, because they stay on top of what's really happening. They don't shy away from making fun of the stupidity in our society. And they sing better than Trump. Closing time. Open all the doors and let you out into the world. Every week, Barry and his crack research team dig for a story that has gone viral, one so ridiculously outrageous that it sounds too ridiculous to be true. Or is it? Well, you get to guess if this is real or made up, Alonzo. So you ready? I'm ready. All right. Olive Garden restaurants are funding Trump's re-election in 2020. You know, they might be. This, this is the problem with this whole Trump donor thing. We deal with the, the end product of these companies, like whether it be SoulCycle or, or Olive Garden now, I've heard about McDonald's, right? But they, they're owned by some corporation it's, who's run by some CEO who is in that super rich 1%. So that person supports Trump and holds fundraisers. But meanwhile, I'm not supposed to have a sandwich or a, or a plate of spaghetti or whatever. So if you tell me Olive Garden is funding Trump's re-election, I have to believe it because so many of these corporations are involved in uh, giving Trump money on a corporate level. So I'm guessing, I'm guessing it's true. All right, here's some more info. A single tweet was posted on August 25th. Here's what it said. Olive Garden chain of casual dining Italian-themed restaurants is, quote, funding Trump's re-election in 2020. It suggested that viewers share the message and promote a boycott. And here's here's a little bit of what it said. Let me get the tweet up here. It said, Olive Garden supporting Trump's bigotry, climate change denial, deregulation, tax cuts for the top 1%. It's okay for the rich and corporations to get government assistance. Meanwhile, the average worker never had help from the government because of this corruption. This must stop. And then hashtag boycott Olive Garden. Well, this is an easy one for me because I don't go to Olive Garden because it is an Italian-themed restaurant. <laughs> you know, ask me to boycott Olive Garden. That's easy. Ask me to boycott In-N-Out Burgers. Now we got a problem. I got to actually work at it. I haven't been to Olive Garden in a long time. The only thing I remember is the garlic breadsticks. Barry, I like that. I okay, like that. Listen, this this is this is a truth to our listeners. Okay, I'm gonna. Just, Ladies and gentlemen, Barry is not going to Olive Garden. This man, <laughs> this man is a restaurant expert. This man knows all the greatest restaurants in L.A., the latest hip, delicious food places. If you see Barry in an Olive Garden, then just the world is coming to an end. Just plan for it to be over within a week. Okay, I've been caught. Full disclosure, you, Barry. You got me. You got me. I said it's been a while since I went to Olive Garden. Olive Garden responded to the complaints on social media. They quickly and repeatedly denied having made any donations to presidential candidates. Corporations themselves are actually prohibited from making contributions to candidates and their committees. Corporate-related donations may come from a company's political action committee. You might remember the Chickaphil controversy. Chickaphil, yeah, he's been to Olive Garden. 
<laughs> and then he went to Chickafil for a sandwich. I'm going to start something called Chickafil. You want to invest in that? All right. But the money can come from employees or from owners if they want to contribute or those individuals and their immediate family members. So that led to some saying that it isn't Olive Garden, actually, who did this, but their owners, Darden Restaurants. They're Trump supporters. Darden also owns Longshore Steakhouse, Longhorn Steak. Have you noticed he can't pronounce any chain restaurant? The foodie who's been to Olive Garden cannot pronounce one chain restaurant. (laughs) Can you say Sizzler? The Sizzler. Yeah, yeah, keep going. Oh, man. So according to Open Secrets, which is a nonpartisan, nonprofit research group, the donations of individual employees of Darden to Donald Trump from those individuals totaled $886 in 2018. And so far in 2020, zero. That's hardly funding Trump's election or re-election. Now, does that mean that you can down those garlic breadsticks that I'm telling you, I remember eating years ago. Can you down those guilt-free? That's a deeply personal decision. So Alonzo, sorry you missed this one. I call you wrong on that one. So it is safe to go to Olive Garden except for that whole Italian theme. On that note, cheers everybody. Today is gonna be a good day. Don't care what If you like what you heard, hell, even if you hated what you heard, hit the subscribe button and tune in every week. Give us a five-star review to help us rise on the charts. And as always, if you hear news stories that make your hair stand on end or they sound like someone is trying to fill you with fear, send them to us at fearnotofficial.com or tweet us at fearnotofficial. And we'll see if we can uh, find the truth. Let us know what you're scared of. Fear Not is a Stone and Company Entertainment production, hosted by Alonzo Bowden and Dr. Barry Glasner. Executive produced by Scott A. Stone. Produced and edited by Adam Everest. Written by Scott A. Stone, Barry Glasner, and Adam Everest. Alonzo writes stuff too. Don't believe him. Our sound engineer is Tim Moore. Legal Beagles, Lobe and Lobe. Crack accountants are 10 key accounting. Special thanks to Gary Brown, Betsy Amster, and Adam's imaginary girlfriend.